Section 1 of the Satyricon. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Satyricon by Gaius Petronius Arbiter. Translated by W. C. Firebaugh. Section 1. The Satyricon of Petronius Arbiter. Volume 1. Adventures of Encolpius and His Companions. Chapter the First. It has been so long since I promised you the story of my adventures that I have decided to make good my word today, and seeing that we have thus fortunately met, not to discuss scientific matters alone, but also to enliven our jolly conversation with witty stories. Fabricius Viento has already spoken very cleverly on the errors committed in the name of religion, and shown how priests, animated by an hypocritical mania for prophecy, boldly expound mysteries which are too often such to themselves. But are our rhetoricians tormented by another species of furies when they cry, I received these wounds while fighting for the public liberty. I lost this eye in your defence. Give me a guide who will lead me to my children. My limbs are hamstrung and will not hold me up. Even these heroics could be endured if they made easier the road to eloquence. But as it is, their sole gain from this ferment of matter and empty discord of words is that when they step into the forum they think they have been carried into another world and it is my conviction that the schools are responsible for the gross foolishness of our young men because in them they see or hear nothing at all of the affairs of everyday life but only pirates standing in chains upon the shore tyrants scribbling edicts in which sons are ordered to behead their own fathers responses from oracles delivered in time of pestilence ordering the immolation of three or more virgins every word a honeyed drop every period sprinkled with poppy seed and sesame chapter the second those who are brought up on such a diet can no more attain to wisdom than a kitchen scullion can attain to a keen sense of smell or avoid stinking of the grease. With your indulgence I will speak out. You, teachers, are chiefly responsible for the decay of oratory. With your well-modulated and empty tones you have so laboured for rhetorical effect that the body of your speech has lost its vigour and died. Young men did not learn set speeches in the days when Sophocles and Euripides were searching for words in which to express themselves. In the days when Pindar and the nine lyric poets feared to attempt Homeric verse, there was no private tutor to stifle budding genius. I need not cite the poets for evidence for I do not find that either Plato or Demosthenes was given to this kind of exercise. A dignified, and if I may say it, a chaste style, is neither elaborate 
nor loaded with ornament it rises supreme by its own natural purity this windy and high-sounding bombast a recent immigrant to athens from asia touched with its breath the aspiring minds of youth with the effect of some pestilential planet and as soon as the tradition of the past was broken eloquence halted and was stricken dumb since that who has attained to the sublimity of thucydides who rivalled the fame of hyperides not a single poem has glowed with a healthy colour but all of them as though nourished on the same diet lacked the strength to live to old age painting also suffered the same fate when the presumption of the egyptians commercialized that incomparable art i was holding forth along these lines one day when agamemnon came up to us and scanned with a curious eye a person to whom the audience was listening so closely chapter the third he would not permit me to declaim longer in the portico than he himself had sweat in the school but exclaimed your sentiments do not reflect the public taste young man and you are a lover of common sense which is still more unusual for that reason i will not deceive you as to the secrets of my profession the teachers who must gibber with lunatics are by no means to blame for these exercises unless they spoke in accordance with the dictates of their young pupils they would as cicero remarks be left alone in the schools and as designing parasites when they seek invitations to the tables of the rich have in mind nothing except what will in their opinion be most acceptable to their audience for in no other way can they secure their ends save by setting snares for the ears so it is with the teachers of rhetoric they might be compared with the fisherman who unless he baits his hook with what he knows is most appetizing to the little fish may wait all day upon some rock without the hope of a catch chapter the fourth what then is there to do the parents who are unwilling to permit their children to undergo a course of training under strict discipline are the ones who deserve the reproof in the first place everything they possess including the children is devoted to ambition then that their wishes may the more quickly be realized they drive these unripe scholars into the forum and the profession of eloquence than which none is considered nobler devolves upon boys who are still in the act of being born if however they would permit a graded course of study to be prescribed in order that studious boys might ripen their minds by diligent reading balance their judgment by precepts of wisdom correct their compositions with an unsparing pen hear at length what they ought to imitate and be convinced that nothing can be sublime when it is designed to catch the fancy of boys then the grand style of oratory would immediately recover the weight and splendor of its majesty now the boys play in the schools the young men are laughed at in the forum and a worse symptom than either 
no one in his old age will confess the errors he was taught in his school days but that you may not imagine that i disapprove of a jingle in the lucilian manner i will deliver my opinions in verse chapter the fifth the man who emerges with fame from the school of stern art whose mind gropes for lofty ideals to bring them to light must first under rigid frugality study his part nor yearn for the courts of proud princes who frown in their might nor scheme with the riff-raff a client in order to dine nor can he with evil companions his wit drown in wine nor sit as a hireling applauding an actor's grimace but whether the fortress of arms-bearing tritonis smile upon him or land which the spartan colonials grace or home of the sirens with poetry let him beguile the years of young manhood and at the myonian spring his fortunate soul drink his fill then when later the lore of socrates school he has mastered the reins let him fling and brandish the weapons that mighty demosthenes bore then steeped in the culture and music of greece let his taste be ripened and mellowed by all the great writers of rome at first let him haunt not the courts let his pages be graced by ringing and rhythmic effusions composed in his home next banquets and wars be his theme sung in soul-stirring chant in eloquent words such as undaunted cicero chose come gird up thy soul inspiration will then force a vent and rush in a flood from a heart that is loved by the muse chapter the sixth i was listening so attentively to this speech that i did not notice the flight of ascyltos and while i was pacing the gardens engulfed in this flood tide of rhetoric a large crowd of students came out upon the portico having it would seem just listened to an extemporaneous declamation of i know not whom the speaker of which had taken exceptions to the speech of agamemnon while therefore the young men were making fun of the sentiments of this last speaker and criticizing the arrangement of the whole speech i seized the opportunity and went after ascyltos on the run but as i held neither strictly to the road nor knew where the inn was located wherever i went i kept coming back to the same place until worn out with running and long since dripping with sweat i approached a certain little old woman who sold country vegetables chapter the seventh please mother i wheedled you don't know where i lodge do you delighted with such humorous affability what's the reason i don't she replied and getting upon her feet she commenced to walk ahead of me i took her for a prophetess until when presently we came to a more obscure quarter the affable old lady pushed aside a crazy quilt and remarked here's where you ought to live and when i denied that i recognized the house i saw some men prowling stealthily between the rows of name boards and naked prostitutes 
too late i realized i had been led into a brothel after cursing the wiles of the little old hag i covered my head and commenced to run through the middle of the night-house to the exit opposite when lo and behold whom should i meet on the very threshold but ascyltos himself as tired as i was and almost dead you would have thought that he had been brought by the self-same little old hag i smiled at that greeted him cordially and asked him what he was doing in such a scandalous place chapter the eighth wiping away the sweat with his hands he replied if you only knew what i have gone through what was it i demanded a most respectable looking person came up to me he made reply while i was wandering all over the town and could not find where i had left my inn and very graciously offered to guide me he led me through some very dark and crooked alleys to this place pulled out his tool and commenced to beg me to comply with his appetite a whore had already vacated her cell for an as and he had laid hands upon me and but for the fact that i was the stronger i would have been compelled to take my medicine while askiltos was telling me of his bad luck who should come up again but this same very respectable-looking person in company with a woman not at all bad-looking and looking at askiltos he requested him to enter the house assuring him that there was nothing to fear and since he was unwilling to take the passive part he should have the active the woman on her part urged me very persistently to accompany her so we followed the couple at last and were conducted between the rows of name boards where we saw in cells many persons of each sex amusing themselves in such a manner that it seemed to me that every one of them must have been drinking satyrion on catching sight of us they attempted to seduce us with pederastic wantonness and one wretch with his clothes girded up assaulted askiltos and having thrown him down upon a couch attempted to gore him from above i succored the sufferer immediately however and having joined forces we defied the troublesome wretch askiltos ran out of the house and took to his heels leaving me as the object of their lewd attacks but the crowd finding me the stronger in body and purpose let me go unharmed chapter the ninth after having tramped nearly all over the city i caught sight of guiton as though through a fog standing at the end of the street on the very threshold of the inn and i hastened to the same place when i inquired whether my brother had prepared anything for breakfast the boy sat down upon the bed and wiped away the trickling tears with his thumb i was greatly disturbed by such conduct on the part of my brother and demanded to be told what had happened after i had mingled threats with entreaties he answered slowly 
and against his will. That brother or comrade of yours rushed into the room a little while ago and commenced to attempt my virtue by force. When I screamed, he pulled out his tool and gritted out, If you're a Lucretia, you found your Tarquin. When I heard this, I shook my fists in Ascyltos's face. What have you to say for yourself, I snarled, you rutting, pathic harlot, whose very breath is infected? Ascyltos pretended to bristle up, and shaking his fists more boldly still, he roared, Won't you keep quiet, you filthy gladiator, you who escaped from the criminal's cage in the amphitheatre to which you were condemned for the murder of your host? Won't you hold your tongue, you nocturnal assassin, who even when you swived it bravely, never entered the lists with a decent woman in your life? Was I not a brother to you in the pleasure garden in the same sense as that in which this boy now is in this lodging house? You sneaked away from the master's lecture, I objected. Chapter the Tenth what should I have done, you triple fool, when I was dying of hunger? I suppose I should have listened to opinions as much to the purpose as the tinkle of broken glass or the interpretation of dreams. By Hercules, you are much more deserving of censure than I, as you who will flatter a poet so as to get an invitation to dinner. Then we laughed ourselves out of a most disgraceful quarrel and approached more peaceably whatever remained to be done. But the remembrance of that injury recurred to my mind, and, Ascyltos, I said, I know we shall not be able to agree, so let us divide our little packs of common stock, and try to defeat our poverty by our individual efforts. Both you and I know letters, but that I may not stand in the way of any undertaking of yours, I will take up some other profession, otherwise a thousand trifles will bring us into daily collision and furnish cause for gossip through the whole town. Ascyltos made no objection to this, but merely remarked, As we in our company of scholars have accepted an invitation to dinner, for this date let us not lose our night. Since it seems to be the graceful thing to do, I will look out for another lodging and another brother tomorrow. Deferred pleasures are a long time coming, I sighed. It was lust that made this separation so hasty, for I had, for a long time, wished to be rid of a troublesome chaperon so that I could resume my old relations with my Giton. Bearing this affront with difficulty, Ascyltos rushed from the room without uttering a word. Such a headlong outburst augured badly, for I well knew his ungovernable temper and his unbridled passion. On this account I followed him out, desirous of fathoming his designs, and of preventing their consequences but he hid himself skilfully from my eyes, and all in vain I searched for him for a long time. End of section one.